Hey, good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? You all survived the rain, and I hear it might snow this afternoon. Like, what's with that? I know, sorry. Not supposed to swear in church. Uh, Hey, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Gary. I'm one of the pastors here. And yes, I'm wearing my colors today because it's been a long time. And if the San Francisco 49ers lose today, it goes back in the drawer. And my wife will be happy. Hey, uh, today we're kicking off a new series called Anchored. And the whole premise is over the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring this thing called faith. And here's why. Every single one of us, no matter where we find ourselves uh, in relationship to God, maybe we don't even know if there's a God or we're really tight with God or a higher power, every single one of us has faith. Faith in someone or something. And that could be faith in ourselves, faith in our money, faith in our significant other, our health system, the San Francisco 49ers whose fans are called faithful forever. So going back to that opening clip, how would you answer that question? If someone were to come up to you and stick a mic in your face and say, what is faith? How would you answer that? Is it destiny? Taking a leap into the dark? Is it just a feeling? Is it blind? You know, when it comes to faith, what most people do is they equate faith with a religious concept or idea. Kind of like the fellow in that clip who said, when he was asked, you know, what is faith? He said, it's a pre-configured set of answers that a particular religion offers you so you won't be totally confused as you make your way through life. You know what? He's not far off. He's right in the sense that religions do indeed attempt to offer a set of answers to the biggest questions in the human experience. Questions of like, where did the universe come from? All the stars, the planets, earth. Where did I come from? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Or this one, what does happen after I die? You know, based on my own experience, here, here's what I would suggest. You and I, all of us, uh, have our own set of answers to those questions. Some way, they might be different, they might be the same, but we all have answers to those questions. We've thought about them, kind of came up with a, an answer that fits for us. Uh, and in and on themselves, those answers are implicitly religious in that you can't prove them in a science lab. At best, they are assumptions, right? So if you were to answer the big questions of life by saying, you know, life is... Well, life is just about enjoying yourself as much as you can without hurting anyone else. You know, let bygones be bygones. You do your thing, I'll do mine, and everyone will be happy. Uh, or maybe your answer is for, for purposes. Well, purpose, is, purpose in life is just what you make it for yourself. And when it comes to what happens after you die, you know, maybe for you, it's like nothing happens after you die. You just cease to exist. Those are assumptions. You believe them to be true, but you can't ultimately prove that they are, right? Self-proclaimed atheist Richard Dawkins uh, was interviewed a few years ago when he brought out his book, The God Delusion. He was interviewed by the New York Times. And he was asked in that interview, you know, so what do you think about God? Do you think he exists? And here's, listen to what he said. He says, I cannot know for certain, but I think God is very improbable. 
And I live my life on the assumption that he's not there. Even with that assumption that God doesn't exist, Richard Dawkins is a person of faith, as we all are. Christian, non-Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, agnostic, you know, somebody that doesn't really care, doesn't really think about it. Uh, Atheist, it makes no difference because at the end of the day, we all have faith. Faith in someone or something that we think and hope and believe will come through for us in the end. And so if that's true, if we all have faith, the question becomes, in whom or what are you placing your faith in? For those of you, you know, maybe you're visiting for the first time or you haven't heard me tell the story, uh, before coming on staff here full time, I worked as a commercial fisherman uh, diving for these beautiful looking things, Uh, the gooey duck clam. Maybe you've seen one, maybe you haven't. They look funny. They kind of look like, well, I'm not going to say what they look like. You can come up with that yourself. Uh, But I can say this about them. They taste really good. They do. If you ask me, what do they taste like? I would say... They taste like chicken. Actually, they don't taste like chicken, but that would make sense, right? Because doesn't it seem like every exotic food we try and we ask people, you know, what does that cricket taste like or that alligator or that frog leg? It tastes like chicken. Well, they don't taste like chicken. And so regardless of what they taste like or what they look like, getting these things required me to go under the water and die for them because they live subtitally. And in order for me to do that, it required me putting faith in a bunch of specialized equipment, like a mask, a dive computer that would tell me how much time I could spend underwater, how deep I was. Uh, And I'd be remiss to to not mention the, the air compressor, which would pump air down an airline so I could actually breathe and live underwater. But here's the thing, of all that equipment that I had to put my faith in, There was one that required more faith than any other. It was this. An anchor. Yeah, it was an anchor. Because the anchor is what held the boat in place. Without the anchor, the boat would just be pushed about by the wind, the current, the tides. It could end up on the beach, the rocks, the reef. All of which are lousy outcomes, right? And so the first order of business when we headed off to do a a day of diving, we would drop the anchor and then set it so we knew the boat would hold. And on most days, the anchor did its job. It held fast. Then there were those other days. Uh, Sometimes the wind would come up out of nowhere, catch us off guard, and the anchor would break loose. And what followed above the water and below the water was absolute pandemonium. Because now the boat is taking off for the beach or for a reef, a bunch of rocks. And so the diver's scrambling to get out of the water. The crew is trying to help the diver get out of the water, plus pull all the water lines and the air lines and the anchor line so they can actually put the boat in gear and get it to safety without getting all those lines caught in a prop. And it happened... More times than I can count. It didn't happen a lot. But after we had an incident like that happen, we'd get off the rocks, we'd get the boat to safety, and we'd all be sitting there kind of catching our breath and kind of reliving it. It's just like, oh, man, that was close. Woo! You know, like, I love my job. And 
we would all say the same thing. Stupid anchor. Can't believe the anchor didn't hold. But you know what the interesting thing is? Even though the anchor broke loose and it resulted in all that pandemonium, it wasn't the anchor's fault. The anchor only let go because the sea bottom that it was set in, whether it was mud, sand, gravel, whatever it happened to be, wasn't capable of providing what it needed to hold. And so it just let go. And off the boat would go. Life's kind of like that, isn't it? In that, you know, things are going great. You got it all planned out. and Things are going according to plan. And then whew, the wind comes. Catches you off guard. And suddenly the thing that you were putting your faith in lets go. Can't hold anymore. And all the commotion and chaos and confusion come rushing in. Now, I'm not overly creative. Uh, Jesus was really good at doing what I'm going to try and do. Is he would take a, a deeper spiritual truth and he would say something like, your faith is kind of like this. Or your um, money is kind of like this. Or the kingdom of God is kind of like this. And he would compare it to something so you actually could put handles on it. And so if I were trying to make a comparison here, what faith is like, I would say faith is like an anchor. Faith is like an anchor. Because it's important, but it's only as good as the ground that it's set in. And as we've explored this morning, we all have faith. We all have an anchor. And if the anchor is only as good as the, the ground, the seabed that it's set in, the question for us becomes, in who or what are you setting your faith, your anchor? Politicians? Humanity? The economy? Kansas City Chiefs? You know, in the context... I heard that. In the context of Christianity... <laughs> Which is what the meeting place is all about. Okay, we're, we're not hiding that at all. We're all about following Jesus. The what for us that we sink our faith into is an event in history that was so powerful, so extraordinary that it actually divided time. Here's what I mean. It's February 2020, right? 2020 years from What? The birth of Jesus, the event. B.C., everything before that was before Christ. Everything after that is A.D., Anno Domine, year of our Lord. And so if, if we looked at Jesus as the seabed, if we compared him to the seabed that the anchor set in, and he's the, the, the thing that we sink our faith into in the Christian faith, that's the thing we place our faith in. But he, Jesus, who was born on Christmas... He is the person. He's the who that we set our, our faith in. And so the question logically becomes, who's Jesus? Like, why him? Like, what's so special about him? You know, and unlike the question, does God exist? Which causes, uh, you know, it's, it can be a big sticking point for a lot of people. You know, people like Richard Dawkins. Very few people actually question whether Jesus actually existed. It's generally accepted 
that Jesus was an actual historical figure. He was a, he was a man that lived in ancient Palestine 2,000 years ago, taught some great things, did some miracles. Uh, in fact, almost every major religion agrees that Jesus existed, and some of them even include him in their holy teachings. If you read the Quran, Jesus is all through there. Uh, Here's some other examples. Buddhists, they don't deny the existence of Jesus. They just believe he was an enlightened man, a wise teacher. Followers of the New Age movement, they agree Jesus existed. They just see him as a wise moral teacher. Hindus, they believe Jesus was a holy man. And they take it one step further and they say, and not only that, but he was a god, small g, among many gods. The reality of Jesus' existence isn't the issue. That's not what people bump up against. When things begin to diverge, when Christianity diverges from all the other world religions, it's all around the subject of Jesus' divinity. That's what it all comes down to. And Christians believe that Jesus was infinitely more than a prophet, a good teacher, a godly man. Although he was all of those things, Christians believe that Jesus was actually God. One of those emojis, mind blown, right? But here's the thing. We, you know, like, so why is that? Well, we get evidence of Jesus' true identity and, a wor- and, and some words written by arguably Jesus' best friend when he was here on earth, a guy named John. And John was writing to some people that were kind of wavering in their faith. They weren't really sure. They just had some mixed up ideas. And so he wrote them a letter. And, and he talked about Jesus' life, but he starts the letter this way. And it really gives us a good indication of who Jesus is and why we put our faith in him. And why we believe that he is God. Listen to this. He starts off this whole letter this way. In the beginning. And I'm just going to stop there for a second. Because maybe those words sound familiar. Right? You know, even if, even if you haven't read the Bible. But this year you thought, you know, I'm going to. My New Year's resolution is I'm going to read the Bible. I can guarantee you, you read these words. Because you opened the cover. You went through the table of contents. A bunch of other stuff. And then you got to Genesis one, one, and it said, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What John is doing is, he's writing this thousands of years later. But he's pointing back, he's referring back to this point in time, and actually beyond that. And you'll see that in just a second here. He's going back to before the beginning. And so he continues, he says, in the beginning... The word, and we're going to get to that in a second, already existed. So before the planets and all that stuff were here, it already, he already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. A little wordy, I know. But the question that pops into my head, and maybe you're asking the same thing. It's like, well, what is this word that John's mentioning here? Like, where did that come from? Is, is he being literal? Like when he talks words, is he actually talking words like stop, go, see, spot, run, that kind of thing? Or is it something else? John continues and he says, he, he, he's referring to the word, existed in the beginning 
with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. Again, he's just like, what? But John is using a pronoun. The pronoun he and him. He's actually personalizing the word. It's a person. And so he could read it like this. He, the word, existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, the word. And nothing was created except through him, the word. The word, he, gave life to everything that was created. And the word, his life, brought light to everyone. Okay? Now, if you're sitting there and you're starting to think, like, oh, dude, like I haven't had nearly enough coffee to track with you on this. And it feels like it's up here. It's because it is. This is huge stuff. And I'm trying to compact it into like a 20-minute talk. But man, this is so key. So key to understanding who Jesus is. But I think the next verse will really help clear things up. John talks about a bunch of other stuff, and a few verses down, he says this. So the word, he, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You know what that is? That's the event that split time. That's the Christmas story. It's when the Word, who was with God and was God, came to this earth as a vulnerable baby boy named Jesus. The the word we use to describe what happened in that event is incarnation. And it comes from the root word carne which means meat on. And so if you go to an Italian restaurant, a Mexican restaurant, and you order something and you say to the server, I want that carne, they know that what you mean is I want it with meat on. That's what God did. He put meat on. He took on flesh and blood and bone. And he became one of us, lived among us as a man, yet still Remaining God. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, why would I believe that? I mean, who is this John? Maybe he just misinterpreted something he heard and he's got it all mixed up. Valid point. Check this out. John continues, he says, we, and he's referring to all, his, all the closest followers, the disciples of Jesus, the 12 men that were following him. He said, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And if that doesn't seem clear enough, uh, maybe John had the same thought because in a letter, uh, he wrote another letter to a bunch of people that were struggling with the same thing. He put it in a little clearer language. And he said this, he says, we, again, he's referring to him and his friends, proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. Remember, way back in the beginning, John started. Whom we have heard and seen, we saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. You know what John's saying there? He's going, look. I didn't hear about this word from my mom. I didn't learn about the word in kids' place or at the city youth 
or from some good-looking ex-gooey duck diver turned pastor. He's like, no, we walked with him. We ate with him. We, we, we went fishing with him. We sweated with him. We laughed with him. We cried with him. And when we looked at him, we saw something different. We saw someone that was more than just a man. He was so different. We saw something that we were willing to die for. When we looked at him, he was oozing with this thing called grace. Love, mercy, and forgiveness dripped from him. He was full of truth. And every time he opened his mouth to speak, he spoke truth. Truth about who he is, who God is, how life works best. He spoke truth about me. That's why I put my faith in him and you can too. That's what John's saying in all of this. Jesus is God. You know, maybe that's still too much of a stretch and I get that. You know what? That is totally okay. Because this is a journey and a journey is a step. It's not a leap. It's not a jump. God is so patient, so gracious. He's like, just take a little step. That's why we say around here, what's your next step? Not your next leap, your next jump, your next step. And what's cool is the Bible teaches that the smallest, the weakest of faith, the weakest of faith in Jesus is far better far more liberating, far more empowering, far more uh, meaningful than the strongest faith that you can put in anything else. Money, your looks, your career, your degree. What is faith? According to the Bible, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And so with that in mind, let me ask you this question. What are you hoping for? What are you hoping for in your heart of hearts? What are you hoping for? You're hoping that in 18, 22, 40 years, your investments will have grown enough that you'll be able to just retire and sit on a, a, a swing down on a beach in Mexico which sounds really good, by the way. If so, what are you assuming has to happen in order for that to happen? Are you hoping that you'll find true love? The kind of love in another human being that lasts forever. If so, what are you assuming about the nature of human relationships? Or maybe... You're hoping that at the end of your life, when you're about to breathe your last, you can say to yourself and God, if there is one, look, I tried my best. I did what I thought was right. I helped people. I did good things. I said I was sorry when I needed to. And I hope, I hope that all that stuff is good enough to pay for a ticket into heaven. If there is one. So aside from the assumption that God trades heaven for good deeds, which he doesn't, 
What other assumptions are you trusting your afterlife to? These are big questions. Or maybe your hope is in the verifiable evidence that 2,000 years ago, a child named Jesus was born, grew up and lived a perfect life, claimed to be God himself and offered to prove it by allowing himself to be publicly executed on a Roman cross and then three days later rise from the dead, fully alive. When he did that, he backed up everything he ever taught or said about himself, about life, about God. Are there some assumptions and beliefs in that? Absolutely, you bet there are. Right from the assumption that the beauty of this island isn't an accident. That the oceans, the mountains, and the trees are the spirals and the whirls of God's fingerprints. Proof that he exists. And so if you have doubts about Jesus and who he is, and how we've talked about it today, because I know we've covered a lot of ground this morning, it's okay. It's okay to doubt. Here's why. Without doubt, you have certainty. And when you're certain about something, you don't have to have faith in it. it they, they, they can coexist. Everyone thinks, oh, if I have faith, I can't doubt. It's like, no, they, they coexist. And so if you're sitting there trying to figure this, it's okay. It's okay. But I want to leave us all with something to do. Okay, this, this, this next week. No matter where you find yourself in relation to God, Jesus, the Bible, no matter what's going on in your life, take some time this week. Let's take some time this week and ask ourselves this question. What is it that I am setting my anchor, my faith in, that I hope will hold and come through for me in the end. And then, grab a friend, come back next week, because we're going to continue on exploring this thing called faith. Really glad you're here, and I, I, I'm so honored to be on this journey with you, and I invite you to pray with me. God, we're all looking for something. Something that we believe will pull us through the hard times in life. Uh, but more importantly, you know, what comes after this life? And sometimes it's hard to, to, to believe that, you know, God would come to this earth and, and make himself vulnerable, taking on flesh and bone and blood and sweating with us and and walking with us, and then dying, and then rising from the dead. I mean, it just seems so ethereal, so unreal. But there's so much evidence for it. And that's the one thing that we, the solid bedrock that we can put our faith in. And so I just pray for all of us, you know, when those doubts come crashing in, that we would be okay with that, that we would explore those doubts. That we would talk to friends or do some reading, whatever it happens to be, just to try and figure out who you are. We thank you that you loved us so much, that you loved us first, that you were willing to come to this planet and die for each and every one of us. And we pray this in your awesome name. Amen.